Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Crisis of Faith with Joe and Drew. Uh, my name is Drew, and we are in episode four of a new series of talks about Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, mostly in the Sermon on the Mount. Is that correct? Is it number four? That seems right. It's also, I think, going to be episode 44. Whoa. So Did you know, know that, that four is the number of the earth? It's the number of the earth because there are um, four earths. Earths. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why it's the number of the earth. That's a throwback joke. You have to go back and yeah. listen to the previous episode. Um, to get it or some other is, episode i don't know i did notice i did <laughs> notice this is episode 44 and it's our fourth episode about jesus so perhaps something earthy is going to go on <laughs> in this but uh before <gasps> any of that, we're talking about the salt of the earth <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> let's change preacher is jesus a white guy and does he really hate everyone who is gay does he turn up his nose before he bombs all his foes? Is he a member of the NRA? Preacher, does Jesus really care if the poor can't find enough scraps? Or does he say, suck it up, son, look at how good I've done by just pulling on my designer bootstraps? Uh, Joe, so um, I don't want to put you on the spot here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell, I live on the spot. <laughs> I'm going to tell a little story. Uh, that sounds like it could be like a super cool little neighborhood in Pittsburgh. <laughs> the spot. Live on yeah. the spot. Um, <laughs> then, uh, well, I, I wanted to share something with you about a unique little, now I have, I have tons of these. So, uh, yeah, so I could probably do this a couple of times, but okay. I, I want you to think about what's the weirdest thing that you ever did um, for the gospel, I guess, like like the weirdest gospel presentation thing that you were ever a part of, because I know you did like Judgment House, and I yeah. know that you used yeah. to put... Yeah. Um, you used to put tracks in tracks uh, and beer cases, Budweiser cases at Walmart. <laughs> um, and I want you to think about <clears throat> what other ones you may. Do you have anything that comes to mind immediately? I think mine is going to be tough to follow. Yeah, I mean, you named the ones that are jumping out at me already. Um, I feel like we've talked about them a lot. Yeah, I'm. I'm trying so did to. Did you think. guys never do any like really big presentation or like even like vacation Bible school style stuff or? Yeah, I mean, I've done some silly stuff, like as working with kids, I've dressed up as superheroes and Sherlock Holmes and, yep. uh, you know, mascot suits and so forth. Just like the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> right. <laughs> Becoming all things to all people. <laughs> so some might be saved. But I can't, I mean, I don't know, church work is so weird. It is <laughs> that so it's, weird. it's hard to think of the weird shit you do as weird. <laughs> it's hard to think of the weird shit you do as weird. I did. Um, church work in a nutshell. That's the best I've ever heard. I did a, a children's message. Uh, this was like 
not that long ago this this past summer it was a you know 2020 pandemic message so it was only on video which is why we were able to do it where i walked on water um in a friend's pool um and like we just put a you know like filmed the water itself empty for a long time to like put back in and then um put a table in the pool that came right up to the surface and I just walked and then fell in. Um, I don't know. Like nothing seems weird. I don't know. What do you got? What do you got? You got a good story. Okay. So those are pretty good. I mean, it, it is weird and you really nailed it just by, just by stating that everything we do in church work is so weird that you, (laughs) it's hard to even notice how weird it is. But when I was in college, um, I was part of a church in Kentucky. I was kind of hired on to help with music and then to do youth ministry, particularly from the middle school class. And the guy who was in charge of the whole youth ministry was super into professional wrestling. <laughs> um, and when I got there, they had they had been talking um, about these wrestling events that they used to do. Um, as outreach to their community. So, <laughs> so about six months go by of us talking about these events they used to do. I have lots of pictures in my head of it. You know, this is this was before YouTube was very big. Like there weren't very many videos of any of it, and so I couldn't go and just see like what are we actually talking about. And and then they eventually actually scheduled one and planned one and i was like all right well i'm in i'll I'll do it and we so what we actually ended up doing was we all created these characters of ourselves um and did like a month and a half of build up to fights and so what was actually (laughs) happening at youth group on wednesday nights involved like um like professional wrestling trash talk stuff <laughs> people coming out and yelling at each other in microphones and then getting body slammed and all that and then it it all culminated in a big like pay-per-view style professional wrestling event in a church sanctuary that they emptied out and put a wrestling ring in and surrounded it with kids middle school and high school kids and then a bunch of us fought each other in like <laughs> staged wrestling wrestling i was gonna ask so you didn't like legit fight this was like choreographed it was somewhat choreographed i got power bombed at one point uh <laughs> which was uh pretty by i was power bombed by the peacemaker <laughs> 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 who was a really good friend of mine uh, to this Bless day him. actually he actually uh he was a pastor um of a church that I, I worked for for a little while he hired me at one point um but uh yeah and and he was he kept making I, I almost made this joke a couple of or last week whenever we were talking about blessed are the peacemakers because he thought it was really funny that he <laughs> he wanted his catchphrase to be i make peace on everyone <laughs> which is pretty great but my character was um i can't remember what it was called uh captain espresso i was captain Captain espresso Espresso. and i would always carry coffee to the ring and i'd throw coffee in people's faces sometimes my catchphrase was uh if it ain't frothy it ain't coffee (laughs) 
but there are actually there are videos somewhere of this um and thousands were saved <laughs> but i don't know what made me think of that the other day but i was just yeah. like trying to think through the weirder thing weirder things i had ever done in church and that was it is like there's something amazing about um i don't think you could do this now maybe i'm wrong maybe like Probably some Christian out there is a youth pastor at some mega church and is like, oh, yeah, we have a billion dollar budget and we put on wrestling yeah. matches. But there was something about like 90s and early 2000s youth groups where you just could like there the production value of these things was amazing. Um, it was also what was great about them, like the reason that <laughs> the reason that we are all like totally screwed up in our about about the reason we have to do a show called crisis of faith is because there's a generation of people who got sucked in by these massive production value youth yeah. groups where like of course the youth pastors were good at like putting on wrestling matches but they didn't know anything about anything <laughs> and right. so they would try like teach you shit about the bible that doesn't make any sense and about god that's like right. just terrible theology and um but you know they were also putting on these grand wrestling productions and hordes of people were coming um it's not it's like true. that anymore it's now true. it's I mean, like the kids are like can you buy us some starbucks in eastern kentucky you know like in eastern kentucky 2002 uh it was the best show in town yeah you couldn't go sure. somewhere you couldn't go somewhere for a and and in my head i don't know this for sure but in my head it was like a really, really crazy big production. Like I, to me, it it feels like it was this massive thing. Like we were doing Monday Night Raw. We were doing WWE level stuff. I also remember uh, one of them. We did it twice that I remember. Um, and the second one, I was set to go out of town uh, to visit Megan. Uh, with my my brother was was going with me. Um, he's really good friends with their with her brothers, and we would do it together. And I remember th there was like a a battle royale at the end of the match or at the end of the the whole thing. Like that was the the grand finale of it. And I was thrown out of the ring, but I had told Kid I was like, we got to drive uh, tonight. Like we got to go tonight. <laughs> so he actually pulled his car up to the door. Um, and there were like these windows leading out. We were because we were doing this, and it was in a school this time, a public elementary school. And I was thrown out of the ring, landed on the ground, ran out the door, jumped in my car, and drove. <laughs> 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 like I just literally disappeared from the event. <laughs> um. Anyways, pretty great stuff. Um. And there's more where that came from because we did some other very very unusual things. Uh. With, I wonder if that, I know for a fact that guy would not want to be on the show. Um, <laughs> he wouldn't. He's, he's a cool guy. We, we were roommates for a while, and the guy who was sort of the, these were all his brain children. Um, but he made some crazy weird stuff happen. Uh, and I just participated in it. It was just jump on board. Yeah, I'll play that role. All right, let's. Uh... I got a text the other day from a friend that said um, that he appreciates Crisis of Faith's firmly anti dentist stance. 
Oh, that's beautiful. So it is, I think it's one of the like really important things that we're doing is exposing some of the stuff in big dental. As we're putting together the Christian way, (laughs) um, and like trying to truly write out like, here's how to have a crisis of faith. I really think that having one point in there about like, never go to the dentist again. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be a really nice, and I could, we could write quite a bit about it. Yeah. I think, I think it makes it would a lot be of a, sense. Kind of I mean, I don't have a whole lot of like, a, I don't have a real personal testimony cause I just never went down that path, you know? Wow. Like yeah, yeah. I was I, like, I have been faithful for so long that it's really part of me. I just, I'm moved by your story. You know, part of me envies your commitment, but another part of me knows that my testimony is way better because uh, that I went down this dark path. And so you can, you can minister to a lot of other people. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We are in niche territory here. (laughs) wonder how many people would understand what the hell is happening between the two of us. The, the only, now. well, that's the thing. Everybody who listens to this show gets the jokes. I think, I do know, I actually know like at least one person who I know is listening. Hi, Maggie, who like isn't, didn't grow up religious. Oh, okay. Um, and she's interested in the show for that reason, kind of. It's like. Because she's anti-dentist? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she's like we do have uh we do have a collection i mean this podcast is becoming a little bit of a um it's it's a variety show of sorts so you do have some people like gwendolyn who maybe just come around for the jingle yeah yeah they're out some people who just come around for the banter uh see you later maggie because we're about to start talking about jesus oh no no Um, she likes maggie likes the jesus stuff because she's like it's a different world it's like oh i I got you i got you oh i could see that I could see that. And I, you know, in all seriousness, just so we can, let's pivot here, I suppose. Um, I have in recent years, I mean, it's starting to happen more and more meeting people who have no exposure to church and Bible whatsoever. Like that was a, extremely rare for me. In Southern up. West Virginia. Growing in Southern up, West yeah. Virginia. Um, but I'm meeting more and more of them now and discovering that there are actually quite a few people out there who are just kind of curious about what this is um but then i also feel a responsibility to say to them by the way i'm not what this is like <laughs> that's that's part of my biggest struggle right now with whether i'm still going to be a pastor or not in september is like if anybody meets me and my wife or gets exposed to crisis of faith and they're like oh so maybe the church isn't so bad after all or maybe there's like maybe there's some good in evangelicalism I just feel like there needs to be some kind of disclaimer on it that says, ah, well, I don't know. I'm not sure they, <laughs> I'm not sure they count us one of them anymore. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure that that's, uh, I'm not sure what you might discover if you were to visit. I'm pretty sure I do know what you would discover if you were to visit any church this particular, this Sunday. Um, you won't find dialogue <laughs> probably. Uh, we're talking about Jesus, um, Sermon on the Mount. And we officially made our way through the end of the uh, the Beatitudes, the, the blessings at the beginning. Um, eight of them, Wait, I recall. Can we, yeah, eight or nine. Do you think there's anybody 
who just listens to the banter and then leaves. Like, who doesn't care about the... I can't imagine. I do know... <laughs> sorry. I know um, at least one person who is like, I hate that part. Like, yeah. Skip through it. I want to get to when you guys are doing I, the real stuff. So I I'm just extending it, that for a minute just to make them think to make them think they have to sorry amanda well but, you know you know joe i mean we've you and i've been talking about possibly doing some writing together here recently right. and one of the things that we are are both saying like is if, if we're gonna write we got to make sure it doesn't stay all academic we need to tell stories and things because people yeah, yeah. love stories both of us say like yeah i don't like the stories in books though I skip through I, that part. I skip those to get to the unique information, but everyone who writes or is in publishing or anything, they're like, yeah, but stories are what sells. So, I mean, I think it's probably more likely than, than not that there are some people who are just kind of like, well, once they get to the deep end of the pool, I'm not that they're interested. Um, That's, I just can't imagine like wanting to listen to us do this bullshit about whatever, about dentistry and yeah. Well, people listen to Ryan Seacrest <laughs> yeah, I guess. On, on his radio show or or Joe Rogan. I think the most popular podcasts in the world are actually people who don't cover a whole. I mean, I shouldn't like that's not necessarily true about Joe Rogan in particular, but most of the other ones, the really big podcasts are just conversations and just uh, just sort of uh audio voyeurism or what <laughs> just, like, just want to listen in on a phone call just like go sit in a coffee shop near yeah like creepily close to people <laughs> yep there might be some people um all right so whoever well, it is well, god bless you the, if you're here whoever it is that hates the banter zone you'll be happy to know it's going to be over after another 15 minutes of banter <laughs> What's the deal with airplane food? <laughs> oh. So yeah, we, we covered the eight or nine uh, Beatitudes, blessings, which ended with persecution. Uh, last episode, we, we kind of ended in this place of like, I think your conclusion was maybe we should just stop talking about this in American evangelicalism if we're, if we're Christians in the, in the West. Like, let's just stop with the blessed are the persecuted uh it just doesn't apply to us my position was a little more like yeah but i think you can only really be persecuted in the way jesus means by the evangelicals i think you can only if you're if you're <laughs> yeah, pursuing right. jesus and you end up being persecuted by the church then i think you may be getting closer to the thing that he's talking about because when jesus talks about being persecuted he is talking about the way that the religious elite is out to get him and will actually eventually you know, hunt down him and all of his followers uh, in some way to prevent the uh, sort of religious revolution that they are leading. Um, That's true. It is Pride Month now, and like it bears saying that the the people to whom this applies, this thing about like persecution in America, are LGBTQ folk who yeah. are specifically persecuted by and large by the church yeah yeah for for specific like lifestyle and um identity markers like 
yeah, this is, that is a really, that is the good example, um, I think. Um, but all that being said, let's, uh, let's see where this takes us next. After the, after the Beatitudes, let me just ask this question. Why is there a, a verse after the Beatitudes? Like it ends with, uh, God blesses those who are persecuted. Um, and then God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and all sorts of people. Like it sort of leaves the poetic structure of the Beatitudes and then says basically the same thing the same as thing. the last Beatitude again. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, that's why I say there are eight or nine. It depends on whether you think of that as just like a longer version of the last one. And I, I don't really know <laughs> why it does that. It's annoying. It's, it it's is. Like, it's not it even. Is. I'm not asking like, you know, what's the what's the ancient Greek reason for this? Uh, I'm saying like that's a whoever put this together. That was a stupid thing to do. I don't understand yeah. why they would have added a, I mean, you, you got to do what you got to do with the manuscripts you're handed. But if you, you make this look really nice as eight things, and then after the eight things, you say another thing that sounds like the eight things, but looks pretty different. <laughs> eight bullet points and then a paragraph about the last bullet point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just kind of a, an, an annoying structure. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, and, and also, by the way, my, the translation I'm looking at here, I do have a paper Bible in my hand of a new living translation. And I just think there's some really weird, uh, words used here. Um, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Um, be happy about it. <laughs> be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. So there is another little kind of just the very last thing there. Jesus saying once again, I'm talking about being persecuted in the same way that the prophets were persecuted by the, the religious elite, by those who were benefiting from the way that things did go in the temple. You know, when, when Amos shows up and says things like, God is saying, I don't want your sacrifices anymore. I don't want to hear your stupid songs anymore. Um, Jesus says, you're in good company when you're persecuted for saying that kind of stuff back to perhaps the church, back to the religious elite. Um, but yeah, be happy. Be very glad when people lie about you. <laughs> yeah. New Living has, it's a weird translation. It has some weird stuff sometimes. So the next stuff, <clears throat> the next little section of the um, Sermon on the Mount is just, it's a little, you know, I think we've said this several times, but it bears repeating. The Sermon on the Mount is not a sermon. It's not, it's not the sort of thing that anybody would stand up and say, like, in a 20-minute speech. It's just a bunch of little snippets yeah. um, that they get compiled together. Um, so the next little snippet is, or two snippets, they seem like they're they're similar. I'll just read it. Uh, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Then another maybe connected one. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. 
No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and get, and it gives light to all in the house. Hide it under a bushel, no. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Beautiful. So there's that. Any, uh, what do you, what do you think about salt and light? They're, they're really um, familiar passages, I think. Yeah. Yeah. These are big, these are big deals. Um, I, this always goes back to, um, mere Christianity for me. I mm. think my, my initial like commentary on the salt and light passages are, uh, C.S. Lewis talks about salt as something that, which I think it's an, a very incomplete metaphor. And even he admits this, um, I think it's the beyond personality section uh, okay. of, of mere Christianity. I don't remember. I um, haven't read that book in a long time. He says, uh, yeah, me either. So I might butcher this, but he essentially says that salt is something that when added, um, does not make everything taste like salt. It makes things taste more like what they already are. Oh, um, that's really interesting. And, yeah, and light is another example, possibly a better example, which almost makes it sound like Jesus says, "You guys are salt," because uh, I th- can't think of a better analogy right now. So you're like the salt of. The- Wait, just got another better analogy. <laughs> you're light, um, <laughs> uh, which light is similar. That if you're explaining what light is to someone who's never seen light before, you you're kind of like, well, light hits everything. And because the light is hitting it, you're able to see everything. Well, they might think, well, then everything will just look like this light thing that you're talking about. But we know that that's not actually true. Light shining on things actually helps you to see Makes the differences. See the things. Yeah, you actually see the things because of the light. Um, that's interesting. And in both cases, you can actually get it wrong by, like, the, the thing itself doesn't do what it's supposed to do, and it draws attention to itself right you can you can put so much salt in a dish that you don't taste the dish right you just taste taste the salt that's and then where, it sucks that's where c.s lewis says like this is where the analogy falls apart a bit <laughs> well because, maybe maybe it holds right because yeah. i don't know what it says exactly but the same thing happens with light right if you get too much light um you can't see the things hmm the light illumines you. It blinds you. You can be blinded by too much light. So this is interesting. So I had thought about, and and what he was getting at, I think, was that that salt is, you know, maybe the presence of God in someone, uh, the Holy Spirit at work in someone. And he was saying, like, well, obviously you can't have too much of that. Um, uh... But if we're thinking, that's not even what Jesus says here. Jesus no. says, you are the salt of the earth. And so what you really should be doing is being present enough to bring out the flavors, right? In everything <laughs> you else. Should be, you should be making everything better. Um, but making not so much making of you same that you just make everything seen? salty. Yeah, right, right, right. And yeah. making things seen without drawing attention to yourself, that's what light does. Yeah. Right? It exposes things. Yeah, uh, you and don't shine a light in somebody's eyes. Right. <laughs> that's a jerk move. <laughs> um, that's pretty good yeah well we did it we cracked the code on this one done <laughs> I so I was thinking about um, this so we we are doing um, I think right after this episode the next couple of episodes are going to be um, some interviews about Christian nationalism 
We got Catherine Stewart. I've told um, you you can't say that in front of me. <laughs> uh, who we have the author of the Power Worshippers. We have um, uh, Andrew Whitehead, who is one of the co-authors of Taking America Back for God. Um, just talking about this, like, which is a tongue-in-cheek title, by the way. Yes, <laughs> it's not a how-to manual. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so. This passage for me was really like the heart of the the Christian nationalist message. Mm. Well, it was the second place. The first, um, there's that there's that verse in I think it's like Second Chronicles about um, if my said, people the one that who says, are called by my he, name, the one that says Whitey gonna win. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. That's the one. That's my. That's the first one for me. It's the first <laughs> verse that comes to mind for me. Why do you gonna win? Um. So yeah, there's the the one in Second Chronicles. It's if my people who are called by my my name will something. I think maybe be humble and pray and turn from their wicked ways. Mm -hmm. uh, then I will heal their land. And that, of course, is about. Um. I mean, it's actually about. Israel in exile in Babylon for um, sacrificing children to false gods and uh, ignoring the poor. But, um, you know, we we always read it as like, this is about if Christians, if America, if America will start praying, mm -hmm. uh, particularly in schools, <laughs> children in schools will pray and will you know, overturn Roe v. Wade and I don't know, like stop letting people be gay. <laughs> yeah. Then God will make America great again. Yeah. Um, so that was like, that's number one. That was right up at the top of the, like the tying together of Americanism and Christianity. But really second was this, um, you are the light of the world and particularly a city on a hill. Yeah. Um, the city on the hill was interchangeably for me, the church yep. and America. Yeah. Right. We shine the light of Christianity and democracy around the world uh, so that people can see, you know, the true light. That's interesting. Um, so I wrote a, uh, I wrote a song that is, um, this hasn't come up yet on the podcast, uh, but it probably will a little bit because I'm about to release more material like this. But I have a song on Spotify right now called Who Are You? And the opening, I think it's the opening line of the song. I never play it out live or anything. Um, I just recorded it. Uh, but the opening line of the song is, Who are you? Uh, you're not a city on a hill. You're a dark cloud hanging over a field. Um, because I was actually kind of drawing on this thing that I had heard all of my life, like we, the American church are the light of the world. We're the city on a hill. And I was like, I don't think that's what we're, I don't think that's what you're doing. I don't think you're, you're a light to the world. I think you're actually more like a dark cloud <laughs> hanging <laughs> over what's happening. I think, I think you're more responsible for the, um, the violence and separation and the, you do a lot less peacemaking than you do argument starting um, and oppressing. And yeah, interesting that you draw that line of saying that that verse is 
Yeah, I kind of forgot well, that that's and how it was Relatedly, taught. I don't think that this was made explicit to me I, until I started thinking about this and especially having done those interviews about Christian nationalism. Um, the, the salt passage, um, every time I ever heard that, that preached, you're the salt of the earth, um, I think what people talked about was that salt has a preservative function, right? Salt, you can, you can put a bunch of salt on your meat and make jerky or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. It preserves stuff. Um, which is what the church, right? The church is a city on, on the hill, the American church. We spread democracy and the gospel around the world and we preserve things. We conserve, we make, yeah. we, yeah. we hold on to the ways of the past, the traditions. Um, you know, back when America was great and Christianity was on top and, yeah, um, you know, huh. and black people had their own water fountains. Right. <laughs> back when we were calling the shots uh yeah that's a i think thomas j ord um when, when we had him on the show was the first um person i had ever heard really just say outright why would you want to be called conservative um for that very reason like what are you trying to conserve and how do, what does that have to do with christianity like that he was essentially saying the the idea that there is progressive Christianity versus conservative Christianity is the weirdest um, battle that you could possibly imagine. Like, progressive Christianity is, in my opinion, uh, redundant. <laughs> like, that Christianity should be progressive. It should move the world forward um, in good ways. It should result in repentance. It should mean that things are changing um, because some things aren't good and the presence of Christianity is making them good. Um, whereas the, the real rally cry of American evangelicalism is conserve, is let's keep things the way they are or get them back to the way they were. Um, and I just think it's such a, a, a strange state, a strange goal. Um, to be associated. It's the same thing that happens to my head every time I hear the phrase Christian nationalism. I'm like, what did these things have to do with each other? Right. How are they connected for people? How, how is there any line to be drawn between the two things? They just seem, um, they seem like they're going in completely opposite directions. You want to conserve and you want to be a follower of Christ. They, they are mutually exclusive like things they 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 pull against each other so this is a little going off topic now but can i can i do a real nerdy like I'd, I'd this is it. this is how you do biblical scholarship kind of it's thing it's been a while yeah okay so um <clears throat> i was interested in this I, I started thinking about all all i heard all these sermons about salt preserves right which um is true. I mean, you can use salt that way. I don't know. I, I didn't like look this up in any commentaries. I don't know whether um, that was even happening in the ancient Near East, um, mm -hmm. like at, at the time of Jesus. And so 
there's a there's a chance that this is like a common um practice among the peasant class that Jesus would have been speaking to and so that's a perfectly valid reading of the text right um but so i'm i'm not ruling it out i'm just saying like that is that's a total possibility but one one other way that you can also kind of think of the way these texts work is I mean, these are Jewish people, right? Uh, Jesus is Jewish. He's talking to Jewish people. Um, and so they they draw on their own scriptures. They draw on the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, um, real, just so naturally. It's not like they even have to think about it. It's just like whatever, you know, use an image from the Hebrew scriptures and it's right to hand. Um, and it just informs the way you think about things. So it's like, well, how is salt? What, what does salt do? And, and I think this is a dead end. I think this gives us the wrong reading of this text, but it's interesting. Um, there's nothing in, nothing at all in the Hebrew Bible about salt preserving anything ever or in, in the mm. New Testament, unless this is a instance of it. Just nothing about salt preserving. Um, there is one verse about salt adding flavor to something like we were talking about. Um, there's one passage about salt uh use salt to bathe a, a child a baby um and bath salts <laughs> yeah christian <laughs> <laughs> and there's a couple about uh salts being used in offerings like in the temple but every oh. time salt is connected with the earth you know the salt of the earth right there's a particular way that it's used and it's interesting i'm going to read you just a couple um I'm interested in this because I had a question about this locked and loaded that I want to see if, if, oh, if you okay. go there first. Yeah. So, all right. Um, so in Judges, this is there are actually like five or maybe six examples of this. But uh, in Judges, um, there's a, a judge named Abimelech, a judge over Israel, and he's um, he is at war with a tribe called Shechem. Um, and he... Like the the passage is about his guerrilla warfare tactics. He sneaks around and uh, does stuff. And so uh, Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He took the city and he killed the people that were in it. And he raised the city and sowed it with salt. Um, he put salt in the earth so that nothing grows. That's the point. Yeah. He uh, he puts salt in the gardens so that they can't grow anything. Um, then here's psalm 107 um he turns this he being god here turns rivers into a desert right so lush watery rivers into a dry dead desert springs of water into thirsty ground a fruitful land into a salty waste every time salt is connected with the earth in the hebrew bible it's about destroying things not about preserving them <laughs> interesting yeah so well, that was the, the earth that's what i was wondering if you were going to go into because i had um i had read or heard once that jesus talking about um you know what do you do with salt that has lost its flavor all you can do is throw it out and it'll be trampled under feet and someone i was reading had said something to the effect of jesus is saying that if you are salt and you don't do with your saltiness what you're supposed to do 
which is to make things better, um, that you'll make them worse, that basically you'll be thrown out onto the ground and you'll ruin the ground. Ruin the ground. And this, mm -hmm. this said something about, um, something about being mixed with manure. I don't know if that's in, was from the Bible or if he was just ma making it up. Like you could throw this salt into the manure or into the, um, uh, the fertilizer, uh, to ruin it. And so anyway, the, I don't know if that's actually something biblical or if he just really yeah. wanted to make the joke that <laughs> you are salt and you don't do the right thing, you end up being so useless that you could ruin shit. Like that was the joke that <laughs> right. he wanted to make. You either salt the food um, or yeah. ruin the shit. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, I, I don't know that the fertilizer thing is in the, I, I would have to go back and look at the text, but there is, there definitely is a sense that salt is, um, salt ruins the garden. I mean, that's, that yeah. does happen a lot. Um, and I think that's a good, that's why I think it's not exactly the right, I don't think when, when Jesus says you are the salt of the earth, he doesn't mean you're going to ruin things yeah. um, because he's talking about flavor, right? If it loses its taste, how can it be restored? Um, so he might, I mean, that might be a good reading. Well, I think say, he's saying both. You're supposed to give flavor and yeah. if not, you're going to destroy the earth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're the salt of the earth and so you're supposed to give things flavor. That's exactly what he says, right? You're sub if you lose your flavor, then all you're going to do is is wreck stuff. All you're, you're do supposed is make to fruitless salt and light both. I mean, this is C.S. Lewis's analogy that you brought up at the beginning. Make things more what they are, right? Yeah. They make us see like it. Not they're not trying to put something into their own box, right? When, when light makes things look like light, you can't see them. When salt makes things taste like salt, you can't taste it. Mm -hmm. um, so they're not trying to fit, fit things in. They're, they're just there to enhance the world, to make the world more itself, make people around them more themselves. And how, how does this get reconciled with evangelicalism like how does and this is c.s lewis this is beyond personality you know from like uh the the chapter of mere christianity from i don't even know when that was published he's uh, like the captain of evangelicalism is, in some he's ways every yeah he's on every pastor's bookshelf this book in particular is ref and he is literally saying that what jesus teaches is if you get close to jesus He'll make you more who you already are, not make you into a typecast, not make you, you know, a, a, a bumper sticker sporting like whatever, two and a half kids in gymnastics, like all of these things that we sort of equate with. If you're a Christian, then you look like this. What C.S. Lewis actually teaches that what he says that he thinks Jesus teaches is no, actually, when you follow after Jesus, what's going to happen is you're going to become more uniquely you. What you're actually going to discover is just how different we all are in this thing. And, and out of that movement, somehow we end up with a movement that says, here's how we're all supposed to conform. Yeah. Um, I, was, I think what I was we might just actually be doing a... is ruining the earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was having a conversation with someone yesterday about um i can't remember what we were talking about but uh i said something about when i got divorced 
um, about four years ago that like it was hard. It was, it was painful and difficult. Um, but it turned out to be just one of the best things that, that happened to me. Um, and not because I'm like, I also met my current lovely wife, Gwendolyn, which is great. And I'm so happy about that, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's the best thing because of that. And I'm not even, and I'm not saying either that like, because my ex-wife was terrible or something and it was so good to get away from her. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that I was supposed to tick the right boxes, right? I was supposed to, um, get married young and stay together forever and have 2.5 kids and a dog and, um, and be an, like a church leader. Right. I was supposed to do all that stuff. Right. Um, and there were other, you know, if there were things that could, that I didn't do right, that I could hide behind the curtain yeah. Um, and just what I put out to the world was the right guy. Um, and that was so public. It's so, you know, there's just that you can't, you, you don't hide a divorce and, you know, like it was, it was so public and it was so like, I was, um, there was no way I was ever going to be the right guy again. It just yeah. wasn't going to happen. There was no way that I was going to tick the good boy boxes anymore. Um, and that, I mean, it took a long time to process that. But when I did, it was so freeing. It was like there was salt in my, like I could be me. There, like there, I would not have ever been able to do Crisis of Faith. Yeah. I would not have ever been able to do this podcast if something didn't come along and say like you're you're never going to make it on the steam of being the <laughs> the the perfect christian right. you're just right. not um and then it was like the lights got turned on then it was like the salt got sprinkled in and i could i like i can just be i can do my thing i can be me well you and i have talked about that from your perspective and from mine, um, somewhat recently, how I still have not, I'm not totally comfortable, um, sharing crisis of faith with every circle I've ever been a part of, probably for the same exact reason. Um, because my, my image before those people is still, in the same place as it was before. Um, yeah. I, I still feel very like, but the weird thing is anyone who actually knows me, um, is not surprised by any of this. Right. You know what I mean? I'll, yeah. Everyone who's close yeah. to me knows they're like, well, yeah, Drew has, Drew hasn't believed in hell for as long as I've known him. <laughs> right. Drew has thought right. that the way that the church deals with LGBTQ people is wrong for as long as I've known him. But there is a difference between this sort of public, um impersonal connections and especially when you're in church world um it, it kind of serves itself to that very well i i looked the part and 
kind of served the part to such a great extent that now it's really difficult for me to be fully myself before everyone. And I mean, fortunately, <laughs> fortunately, everyone that matters <laughs> is in on it. You know, I can be fully me with my family and my closest friends and, and everybody I make music with now. And um, even my parents, like even, even when my parents disagree, it's not like they know, I mean, they know that crisis of faith exists. They've listened to enough of it to know that it's not their thing. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but I, I see what you're saying there, that, that there is some kind of, there's a liberation to, um, kind of the brokenness and, and I'm experiencing more of it right now than I ever have before. It's not, it's not, to the fullest effect, but even just saying for the past month, I don't think I'm a pastor right now. Like yeah. I, I think the church that we started maybe, maybe didn't work. Like maybe it just isn't going to do the things that we thought it was going to do when we started it. Maybe we don't even want it to do those things anymore. Like that has already liberated me to the point of saying like exactly the same things that you're saying. Like it feels kind of like there's being, there's salt being sprinkled in. Like, I don't have to have conversations with people where I'm dancing around what I think and what I feel and, and making sure that I'm you know, doctrinally correct on feelings. Cause that's yeah. the thing is like, <laughs> that was the hardest thing for me is like, I'm a, I'm an artist at heart and I'm a, I'm a feeler, you know, I'm always, I'm always deep in my thoughts and deep in the way that make, things make me feel. And I've always had to put that stuff through a filter of like, all right, let me make sure that nothing that I'm feeling violates what I'm supposed to believe and what we as a community have decided we all believe together. Um, and it, it's a weird place to be now. Um, There's, um, it feels better. I think, you know, we're kind of like thinking, what is the, the Jesus way? And, and we talked about sort of in the Beatitudes, there's this, the big principle, big picture principle is uh, you know, call it karma, call it whatever. Like there's a great reversal coming, like hang in there. Things are going to change. Yeah. That's, that's the big, well here, I think, um, what we see will, will pop up later in the sermon. Um, we're seeing kind of the positive side of the coin here. And then there's a negative side of the coin later in the sermon where Jesus is like, you know what? Stop standing up in church and praying out loud so that everybody will see how holy you are yeah. and stop giving money to put your name on the building and stop like showing off your spiritual practices. Like everybody can see how gaunt your face is because you're fasting or whatever. Um, like stop putting on the show that you think you're supposed to put on and just be, be who you are yeah um and you know the the beautiful thing about this i think you know this is really about bringing that out in other people but i love like this passage um there's no you know the beatitudes are promises blessed are the peacemakers for they will inherit the earth this is you are there's no it's not a command it's not like mm -hmm. hey do this Go be salt. Go be light. No, it's just, this is what you are. Yeah. Yeah. This is what you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Your job is to bring out the best in 
everything and everyone. And what a, like, what a high calling. And it is, it is a blessing to be that as well. And also like, you know, what a, a challenge to consider like, okay, is that really the way I've thought about this? Is that really what I've thought about my Christian faith? Is that really how I've processed my relationship with the Jesus thing? I don't know, Joe. I think we could probably rant on and on about this for a while. I feel like I'm having real time. It took me a minute today, uh, but I'm having real time self-actualization and and realizations today yeah real yeah, time repentance um or i'm like i think i might have missed something here i i keep coming at these teachings of jesus ready to ready to deconstruct them ready to say like and here's where he's wrong and i keep walking away saying like oh no i think maybe i was just wrong in the way I oh remember. there's a deep kernel here yeah, yeah. Which is exactly what we set out to do, right? That's what we said we were going to do in this that we didn't know. Like, some, you know, we, we've done a lot of podcasts about hell and atonement and, like, a lot of, a lot of the things that people um, have been deconstructing and rethinking. And frankly, they're things that as a theologian and as a former pastor that we've thought about and read like read everything there is to read about and like put put the effort in already while we were kind of going through our own crises yeah um and so we were kind of teaching a little you know what i mean like we were taking that that role i think in some ways right and we said with this jesus stuff like you know i would really love to figure out what jesus was on about yeah, and and that's what we're, uh, that's what I feel like is happening for me here is I'm not like I I don't I honestly don't know yeah what these things are about I'm I'm coming in to try to figure it out and and I want to say just something to the because I think we may have a few um, either atheist or even just fully antagonistic to all things Bible. Um, that there is still a possibility here that i mean i think so much of what jesus says is um is a blank slate that it's 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 fair that we are kind of evolving as people to a place where this meant one thing when we were in the camp in the old way and now it means another thing now that we're out of the camp and it could just be this is going to sound really heretical, but I just want to speak on behalf of those people a little bit and just say, maybe it doesn't really say anything that interesting at all. I, I want to be open to that and say, I'm kind of obsessed with this Jesus figure. And I'm kind of obsessed with this, this collection of writings that we call the Bible. Um, and in particular, the gospels that include the story of Jesus. And I will admittedly say like the fact that it's meaning something different to me now is potentially suspicious um <laughs> yeah but i also find value in that i find value in the type of poetry and the type of writing that says what will happen if you're reading this right is you'll love god more and you'll love people more i find that compelling even if i'm willing to say you know maybe it doesn't say anything at all maybe it's maybe it's complete nonsense maybe it's 
maybe the reason I'm able to apply whatever meaning I'm, I need it to it is, is that it doesn't really have much larger meaning, but (laughs) yeah. Well, I mean, part of it is right that we grew up on this stuff and we have imbued it with so much meaning. Yeah. Um, that it's gonna, it's gonna resonate like deep in us. Like even if, even if we didn't understand it or if we understood it differently, this image of salt and light has been dancing in our head for 35 years. Yeah. Right. Um, and nothing, I, you know, I don't care. I don't care if you're like watching Shrek two, if you watch Shrek two 52 times a year for your whole life, like it's gonna, it's gonna take on some deep resonance for you. Yeah. Um, But that Eventually, said, you're going to be like, I am an onion. <laughs> <laughs> so like, there's something that's going to hit, like there's something in, in this for people who have been Christians. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, you know, Jesus's teaching has remained culturally important for two millennia yeah um you know socrates isn't socrates because he had good press like you just don't last that long um yep you people people stick around because they had something that people have been able to mine for years so i i do think there's something objectively i think there's something right there it's gonna hit you and me differently than it will hit people who you know have no um no lifelong experience with it yeah. but i think that objectively there's something in these jesus traditions that uh that is worth wrestling with whether whether you take something and want to incorporate it into your own life or not it doesn't matter but i think there's something worth wrestling with i have to agree that's it. This is over. All right. The end. Get out of here. Jingle it out. Preacher is Jesus, a white guy. And does he really hate everyone who is gay? Does he turn up his nose before he bombs all his foes? Is he a member of the NRA? Preacher, does Jesus really care if the poor can't find enough scraps? Or does he say, suck it up, son, look at how good I've done by just pulling on my designer bootstraps? <laughs>